Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'd like to host my own podcast? Well, guess what? You can go to podbean.com slash voices and get everything you need to create, manage, and promote your podcast. I use Podbean every week for voices in my head. There's easy uploading and publishing tools, stunning templates, custom domains, social and promotional tools, an embeddable podcast player, monetization tools, and more. It is your all-in-one podcasting solution. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. So go to podbean.com slash voices. And when you sign up, use the code VOICES and you'll get a sizable discount. Podbean, for your home podcasting. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes or by tweeting at me at Rick Lee James on Twitter. And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account at Mr. Rogers Say, where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. Forgiveness from old tears And I'm expecting no one Getting them's gonna be some fun I'm learning, learned a lot And I plan to learn, learn again Turn a friend to a brother and give love to a sister and no oh, oh it's too crowded down here I think we can fly tell me have we tried oh no I wanna fly again I want the sky again I want to try again When did we ever stop? 
Yo, when did we stop? Yo, when did we stop? Don't think that I noticed, but I can't say I didn't know that we have Just focused on me and nobody else Cause that's where they teach us at home And the TV's all you know Cause mom and dad left us home And Disney told us we was grown And I believed them I knew what love was when I was 13 Had it all figured out I was colorblind until I met the police Yeah, And no one could tell me nothing You know how the blind see And now that I see All I can see is Oh, 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 oh it's too crowded down here I think I'm gonna fly I think I'm gonna try Oh, I wanna fly again I want the sky again I wanna try again back to Voices in My Head. As always, I'm your host, Rick Lee James, and I'm so glad that you can be here with us again for what I know is going to be a great conversation. The song that you just heard is called Ballad, and it is performed by my guest on this week's show, Royce Lovett. Royce Lovett has been making music since he was a kid in Tallahassee, Florida. Royce's star has been steadily rising over the years, but his soothing yet gritty reggae rock performances as a contestant on the last season of NBC's The Voice made him a recognizable face around the nation. While The Voice viewers saw a distinctly reggae side of Royce, his albums are musically quite diverse, mixing rap, hip-hop, rock, and reggae with a whole lot of soul. I met Royce in 2018 at UTR Media's Escape to the Lake event near Chicago, Illinois. 
I found his performance to be like nothing I had ever seen. His music and his message mesmerized every person in the audience that evening, and to say the least, I wasn't too surprised to see him on a national television show like The Voice. But it wasn't just Royce's voice that left an impression on me. It was his heart and the way that he allowed God to minister through him with the performance he gave. I would still classify it as one of the most meaningful live performances that I have personally ever experienced. I invited Royce here today for two reasons. I love his music, and I wanted a chance to showcase it on my show. But I also wanted to let him share from his heart, as a black man, a parent, a son, and a person of faith living in the United States in 2020. So Royce Lovett, welcome to Voices in My Head. Thanks so much, Rick. I really appreciate being here. I really do. That introduction was amazing. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I, I worked hard on it, and, and I, I meant every word of it. I just remember that being such a, a special evening when I got to see you perform live, and there's something about those live moments in a room like that. And I just think it was a, was a neat weekend altogether. We spoke very briefly just as your performance ended that night. Uh, but it's good to be able to have a chance to, to get to sit and talk with you today and to be able to hear some more of your thoughts. So thank you for taking time to be here. Now, I know your roots are in, in Tallahassee, Florida, and those roots are important to you. And I wanted to ask you, what makes Tallahassee so special to you, and why is that city an important part of your story? Uh, you know, Tallahassee is an interesting capital city. Um, most folks, when they think about capital cities, they think um, the bigger city, the faster city. Um, Tallahassee is a small town. Um, not very diverse, uh, mostly um, black and white folks. Um, there's other uh, cultures here, but it's not as diverse as Central Florida or uh, South Florida. Um, very political. Um, one of the two best colleges here, and I think we have a lot of cool thinking here. Um, it is also South Georgia. And so a lot of ways, Tallahassee feels like... Um, a mix of like Southern hospitality, politics, and and college. Um, and college is a, is a big word, I guess, for some folks. You know, they might think you know higher learning. They might think um, uh, fast thinkers or parties or football. You know, whatever mm -hmm. you know someone thinks when they hear that. But I think all of that encompasses that. Um, and Tallahassee is also family for me. Um, it's a slower town, and I have so much family here. Uh, my grandfather, I uh, was one of the first uh, um, black-owned produce um, salesmen, I guess that's what you would call them, a produce salesman, um, here in Tallahassee. So I come from a very hardworking family. Um, I come from the sticks, um, dirt roads and rocks and, and playing outside and having a fun childhood. Um, and you know when you're when you're having fun outside, sometimes you don't realize that you don't have, you know. But as you get older, you realize that you know you do come from a place of lack. Mm. Um, and then when you get older, I moved to you know south side of town and started to experience like the the inner city part of lack instead mm. of like the country part of lack. Um, 
But all the while, I'm very involved in the community because my mom, she's always been, you know, been in church like every day of the week when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and uh, I think there's so much in Tallahassee that has made my my uh, my story, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think that, you know, you learn from all of those positives and negatives. So, yeah, I, I think Tallahassee definitely does have a, 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 a place in my heart that no other city will feel. Well, that's great. Well, you know, one thing that I do remember about the night that you played at Escape to the Lake just a couple of years ago uh, is that your mother does play a very important role in your story, and you talked about her and sang about her that night. So I'm so glad that you just mentioned your mother a moment ago. I wonder, would you mind telling us a bit about her and her influence on you musically? Rosa Lovett is... Maybe one of the strongest black women or woman that I know. Um, she wears so many hats, and I, was, you know, as as an adult now, I've been like, Mom, I think we should, you know, it's time to take off some of these hats. You know, you do so much for folks, um, and I've just always seen a genuine giving heart from her. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh she's kind of given me a heart for music, given me a heart for for um, being connected to God in a spiritual way. Um, so is my father. You know, my father definitely has taught me so much um, and just guided me through life and just understanding what's, what to expect and what's going on, you know. Hmm. Um, I do think there's kind of nothing like a mother's love, yeah. you know, that can kind of walk you through certain things, walk you through different mistakes, protect you from different mistakes, and also let you, you know, get close to the heat a little bit, you know. Hmm. Um, I think, you know, if I describe my mother into one word, uh, I would just say, I would say giving. Hmm. And there's just like a giving part of her that I think that I keep in my music, you know, one reason why um, I write the way I write. One reason why I prefer the music to be for, you know, all ages and um, all people, um, no matter the the narrative of the stories that I'm telling. Um, as a Rosa Lovett is definitely <laughs> a uh, a big part of my life. Wow. Well, thank God for for your mother and and your father too, and the different influences in your life. And uh, I I loved uh, actually whenever you were on the Voice, getting the chance to see uh, your your wife and son as well. Um, and I, I believe it was your wife and, and son uh, that they showed. It just said your family. Uh, so, <laughs> but I think yeah, that's yeah. Who it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that was that was great. But it was it was neat to see just kind of those family connections um, and and the way that they influence you as an artist. And I think that's wonderful. And and being an artist right now, uh, th- this is a difficult time for artists when touring has been pretty much impossible for those of us who make music due to this COVID-19 pandemic. And I just was wondering, how is life for you right now as an artist and as a man with a family to provide for? Because I know musicians have been hit especially hard right now. 
Yeah, um, all across the board, uh, live shows, streaming, uh, merchandise, sales, all those things, especially as an emerging artist, um, there is a, um, a deficit in what's going on. You know, um, People aren't listening to music the way they used to, and, and, and the folks that are, you know, they're listening to the greats, you know, they're listening to the classics, they're listening to the 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 a-list you know stars that um have the the track records and so a lot of emerging artists and a lot of artists that are just starting you know um streaming is really difficult Mm -hmm. and so when you take away touring and take away streaming you know for a lot of folks it can be very depressing it could be a very you know you're, you're you're clawing and scratching trying to figure out what to do um, how to get your voice heard, how to get different things heard. Um, for me, I think it's been a little different. I think a lot of folks um, have been um, concerned and wondering, you know, how I'm doing. Um, but I am, I thought, well, just to give a foundation to what I, how I'm going to answer, um, 2017 I learned something that was so valuable as I hit rock bottom financially. Mm. <laughs> um, I learned that I could not successfully live as a black man in America or in the world if I continued to compare myself to Western ideals, mm. Western thinking of success means you have this number in the bank success means you have this number of streams success means you have this number of cars and success is always held up to this number Hmm. and i as i was hitting rock bottom and understanding you know what grateful really meant um amazing things started happening um and that's a whole another topic that we could Hmm. travel down another time but um just learning different things that I didn't know. Um, that even goes into like some some uh, some racial um, dispar- disparities um, and just like what certain people know, um, certain uh, econ- econ- in economics things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also going into um, just the personal level of what you've done. And what has uh, qualified you to say you're successful, sure. I think, is what everyone, you know, around here is wondering. Like, mm-hmm. what makes me successful? What makes me a successful dad, a successful mom, a successful artist, a successful doctor? And I think um, all those things might be a little different, but I think one thing goes inside with that is if you are loving people. Hmm. And, you know, that, like I said, that's a whole other topic that, that sure. kind of like goes down another a rabbit hole, but that's what, something I learned. Um, so to answer the question, when, when within five days after the pandemic, um, all of my shows canceled mm. and everything that I planned for this new song called Good Morning, you know, hit. Yeah a rock bottom place and I was told that people are going to be home and you're going to be around people um, all day at your house and you're going to be annoyed and you're going to be, you have nothing to do and you're going to be bored. 
Mm-hmm. I was literally like, sweet, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... One of my boys, like, bring on the family time with, with my wife. Like, I don't have to do anything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, you know, I think financially the pandemic hit everyone in a different way. Sure. And because yeah. of some things that I learned in 2017, we weren't as worried financially Hmm. Um, and you know, faster than other folks get worried. I mean, we did get worried a little bit, maybe like about two months into the pandemic, but, um, it was, it was a great time. I did a lot of writing. Um, I spent time with the family. I taught my three-year-old how to ride with no training wheels. I, I, I I had fun. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing yeah, yeah my my son also we we got off the training wheels this time so that pandemic to yeah, good use yeah. <laughs> yeah and so like you know the past four weeks have been you know emotionally draining you know experiencing some loss and things like that yeah um but but i hope i answered the question in, yeah in a way that the listeners don't feel like i <laughs> I um, I I should have you know taken it harder or something. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm having a good time as an artist right the, now during the pandemic. Well, good. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're doing exactly what you needed to do in that moment, and that's great to hear. And I'm glad for your family time. I'm glad you've had some more time to write, especially because that means more music for us to hear. So that's that's always yeah. good news <laughs> on our end. Well, I'm I'm so glad to hear that. Well, well, Royce, this is going to be kind of a, a lengthy preamble to a question that I want to ask you, so forgive me. I just want to set it up a little bit for our listeners with some context. Yeah. We're, we're not only in a time of, of crisis as a nation due to the COVID-19 crisis, but we're also at a time when tensions are high for many reasons. Uh, even before the, the pandemic happened, we were a nation divided politically and in many other ways, I think. And then the pandemic seems to have exacerbated problems that were already present in many ways, especially now with the murder of George Floyd uh, plainly in public eye uh, on video. And America is being confronted with its original sin that it is never fully reconciled with, the sin of racism. And I'm sad to say that the church has not overcome its own issue with racism. And when we consider the racial and and ethnic demographics for our churches as a group, uh, I was just reading that white evangelicals are 76% racially homogenous, while uh, mainline Protestant denominations are 86% white. And while some denominations are racially diverse, the individual congregations within them are overwhelmingly not diverse. And so what that means is there's no more than than 12 to 14 percent of American congregations that are racially mixed. And to me, that's a problem. And when we were at Escape to the Lake in 2018, it wasn't lost on me that you were the only black person in the entire room where you were performing that night. And I, I wondered in that moment, I thought, I wonder if this happens very often, especially when you're playing in church circles. And I also thought, I wonder how many of us who are white have ever really experienced that very much, where we're the only person in the room. And so I just wanted to to ask you some questions tonight based first upon that. That's the question I want to ask is, how common is it 
for you when when you're out playing and especially in church venues that you find yourself to be the only black person there it's extremely common yeah. <laughs> it's not um so so common that you know it, it doesn't feel awkward or weird mm-hmm. um there is a saying people say you know that's very true you know Sunday morning is the most segregated day of the week. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I have a, a big problem with that. Um, I think more people should have a big problem with that. Yeah. And that there is the problem. Uh was at a church service um, in the Midwest. I forget exactly what city during, during a tour. Mm-hmm. And we had an off day on that Sunday. So I went to the church that was nearest to the the bus, mm-hmm. and I remember this is probably it was just kind of awkward. Um, I remember there was two civic there was two sanctuaries, and they directed me into one sanctuary, and I noticed they were directing older folks into another sanctuary, hmm. and I then learned that they were separated with like younger folks and older folks because. Um, the worship music was different. Hmm. So the worship music was more hymns on the older side, and the the uh, and it was more CCM on the other side. Sure. And then I noticed that a big screen came down as the pastor started to speak. Um, so there's one speaker for you know each place. You know, one speaker had the actual person. I mean, one building had the actual person. The other building had a screen. And afterwards. He said, everybody stands and close your eyes. I'm going to pray. And I didn't close my eyes. Um, hmm. he, and during the prayer, he said, um, let every nation, let every tongue uh, praise the name of the Lord. And as he said that, for some reason, I looked around and I was like, I am the only other nation in here. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and that just, and it just kind of bothered me. And so I think that that needs to bother more people. And and if it's, if it's not bothering someone, then that means that we're not thinking about it. And if we're not thinking about it, then that is another problem. I think there's lots of um, places that the church, I, I don't like saying the church is failing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think racism and prejudice and um, oppressing um, anyone um, economically or whatever, um, should be addressed by the church first. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think, you know, we are called the salt of the earth. That means we have to preserve it, mm. you know, and the salt has to be salt. And too many times I think that, you know, we just bag ourselves up and, and we just sit on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. And then I would, I would, I would even question if, if that is salt. You know, hmm. um, I would I would even question a lot of things. You know, you know. I think when the scripture, I think about it often. Scripture says, "Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it." And it says, "Narrow is the way that leads." I'm sorry, it says, "Broad is the way to destruction, and many follow it." Mm-hmm. Um, then it says, "Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it." And I always thought it was interesting that it didn't say. Few get on it, few walk yeah. on it. It says few find it, 
And that always leaves like another question, like, okay, you found it. Does that mean they got on it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Does that that mean they're taking it? You know? So I would question if, if light is not shining in darkness, is it light? Hmm. If salt is not preserving and it, is it salt? Yeah. You know, and I think we really have to think about those things. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And it, what strikes me, and I, I'm reading a book right now actually called Rediscipling the White Church. And uh, the author kind of makes the um, makes the point that he feels like there is maybe at the root of all this, and that's actually where I got those statistics from that I shared before that last question, um, he he had said he feels like there is a discipleship problem from the very beginning. He said that, that the idea is not that we address race and only race, but that we have to understand so much a part of our discipleship is this idea of the Great Commission, that we have been a people who have called out um, into every tribe and nation and tongue and people together, and that there's an incompleteness in the body of Christ if we do... St- kind of keep ourselves only with people who are like us and I really like what someone had said recently I wish I could remember who said it but they were talking about the Great Commission and said you know the the word the, the two letters co at the beginning of that means doing it together and said the Great Co-Mission is that we are to be inviting and to be welcoming each other from all these places and so I think that in in our country I think that we're missing out on a richness of experience and a richness of sharing life together that maybe we don't even realize we're missing because we've never experienced it before in many places. And um, just, you know, I wanted to, to point out too, I, I rewatched your your TED Talk recently that you did. And what you mm-hmm. talked about in the TED Talk uh, caring for a plant, <laughs> and it said when you said uh, something along the lines, and pardon me if I if I'm misquoting you, but you were talking about um, saying that you love something, like saying you love your country, and you used to kind of say it kind of without thinking, you know, like I love my country, but then you also talk mm-hmm. about what it means that you have to have a relationship with something and know like people before you can really say uh, that. You love them. You love them. (laughs) And it all comes from this idea of relationship. I I would guess that your experience on Sunday morning at that church that you were at is is probably a lot more common than most of us would like to admit. And it's something that that worries me a bit in the church. And and I go to a church. I've I've been in uh, my church in Ohio here uh, for close to 20 years, about 19 years. And other than some people who have been adopted into homes and families, we're still a pretty much white church. And I'd say over the last few years, it's really been starting to break my heart more and more. I'm I'm wondering mm-hmm. how to break out of some of the old old roads that we've been on. Maybe we've, you know, in many ways, as you just described so eloquently, maybe we've been on that wide path for too long and we need to Mm -hmm. understand how to, to, you know, get on that narrow way just a little bit longer. I wonder if you would mind elaborating just a little bit on the idea that I had just shared about, that you talk about in your TED Talk, 
about what it means to care for something. And you talked about this illustration of a plant, and I wondered if you could explain that just a little bit, what you meant behind that, for listeners that maybe yeah. hadn't seen your TED Talk. Yeah, see, you know, when you, you know, get a picture of a plant, right, and you mm-hmm. post it on Facebook, you got a new you got a new plant from Lowe's and you post it on Facebook and you say, Oh, I love my plant. Like the question is, do you love that plant? Or <laughs> do you just love the picture you took with it? Like <laughs> because loving that plant means that you know that plant needs this amount of water, this amount of sunlight that I'm going to make sure that I'm caring for it so it can't grow. I'm gonna make sure that I'm um repotting it and I'm making sure that everything that that plant needs is taken care of. And so I was comparing it to when we say, you know, you love your husband or you love your wife. Um, that is the same exact word that we use when we say, you know, I love my country. Hmm. And how can you love your country if you're not loving the people? Because by definition, Webster says that country is the people of a place or district so if you love your country that means you love the people so the question is do you love your country Hmm. do you love the people um you know i would ask churches i would ask business owners that say "I'm, i'm here for the community well how many people on your board um are from this community that look like this community hmm. that know what this community needs. Hmm. That's the only way an organization can actively love someone. You know, I think that, you know, I heard my pastor say once, he said, um, the people who actually run the church are the ones that can change the thermostat. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, cause you might, you might have a board, you might have people that that you know, might have worship leaders and this, that, and the third, but maybe the worship leader can't walk over to the wall during Sunday morning service and turn it from, you know, 71 to, to 69. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know? Only, like, two people in the building probably can do that. Hmm. You know? Or maybe one. And so yeah. I think that those are your most trusted folks. Like, I would even ask that to someone... Personally, I have four friends that I know right now could come over to my house and could go in my refrigerator and change the thermostat of the house without right. asking them. <laughs> that means that these are close friends. These are friends that are that you will give you will loan money to, that mm. you will you know give money to, that you will eat with. That that is a convenience to be around you know a lot of Mm. us you know we uh we say you you have a group of friends where you say hey let's get dinner and then all of a sudden it's like well how about wednesday or you know maybe the next wednesday you know maybe 7 45 maybe and then you're now you're planning Mm -hmm. but then we all have another group of friends that we could spontaneously any night say hey what y'all eating i got chicken y'all got rice we can just (laughs) pull it together and there's another type of closeness there. Like those folks are the folks that you know. Yeah. Those folks are the folks that matter in your heart. Those are the folks that you will vouch for. When something goes wrong, 
you'll look around and say, that couldn't have been that person. That couldn't have been him. Like, I, let's get to the bottom of this because that couldn't have been that. Um, I think the church has a long way to go because I think, yes, it does start a discipling. I think we are afraid to disciple um, foreigners. I think we are afraid to um, disciple uh, in the sense how Yeshua did it. Mm-hmm. I think I think we like to minister. I think we like to play songs and write music and hold parties. And um, I think, you know, we like to go into a neighborhood that we know is underserved and pass out tracks and play worship music. But we don't actually like to say, hey, come with me and hang out with me for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The way Yeshua did, you yeah. know, um, to to handle conflict, to to know um, the person's heart. I think that uh, too many times the church is 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 unlike the heroes that we describe in the Bible. Hmm. You know, I, I think about Daniel. Um, when I think about Daniel, I think about um, to be honest with you, I, I think about a black man in America, you know, someone mm. who came from someplace that they they weren't supposed to be. Um, the Babylonians grabbed him and, and the other folks in the place he wasn't supposed to be. And he decided to engage the culture, but it still um, believes in, in, the, in, the, in the God of, of his fathers, um, yeah. in the God of the universe. And I and I think that's a perfect example for mm-hmm. for the church. I think too many times we're afraid of what the world is going to say, what the world is going to do, and we so much that we we made up this word called the world mm-hmm. <laughs> that right. only only people that are believers understand when we say the world. Mm-hmm. That we we know we we're referring to sinful people that we don't want our kids around, and we create a subculture, and we keep ourselves in the subculture, and then we tell other folks, "Hey, come hang out in this subculture that we've created," instead of being like Daniel, and engaging the culture that we're already in. I, you know, I, I've been on the phone a lot. Um, especially the past few days, talking mm-hmm. to you know organizations that are out here protesting, mm-hmm. and um, my goal has been to get more churches out there, mm-hmm. and and you know what the organizations' hearts are, what people's hearts are is for some reason the church never wants to come to the meeting on time. But they want to make sure that there is a seat. They they want to make sure that they have a seat at the table. And then whenever they choose to get to the table, they want everybody to be quiet and only listen to them. Wow. And I think that's a perfect example of of what we have created um, amongst ourselves. And I think that we need to break that. And I think there's a long, there's a long road to break that, like having these conversations, mm-hmm. but not just having these conversations, just also challenging ourselves. Yeah. Um, Cause it's not just going to happen. 
Yeah. Like change doesn't just happen. Like learning how to take care of a plant doesn't just happen. I use an example of a friend of mine who adopted a brown boy, uh, a white friend of mine who adopted a brown boy. And because he adopted a brown boy, he started to realize there's things that I don't know that I can't teach him because I never opened myself up to it. Hmm. And so he had to not just talk about talk about it <clears throat> he had to find me and find other people who are understanding to what is this brown boy going to face in life yeah. that I was privileged not to tell my white children hmm. you know yeah, um, yeah I think that yeah yeah. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, that's that's something that that friends of mine are also facing who've who've adopted children that are not white, and uh, have have been asking those same questions, um, and especially as their children are growing up and getting older, and uh, some of them are entering right now. Uh, one of them I can think of is entering into preteen years, and and they're starting to have to have uh, conversations as you just referred to that that I'm probably never going to have to have anything even close to with my son because he's white, you know. Um it it's a different conversation entirely and and I'm and I'm learning about some of those things that that make us um different and unique and challenges that that we don't necessarily have to face as as white people. Um and it's it's heartbreaking, you know, to to think of some of the things that that I have taken for granted for so many years, uh, even into my adult years until fairly recently over the last few years, things I had never thought of before. And, mm -hmm. uh, and what a wise friend, I think, to come to you and, and, and ask that question on behalf of his adopted son, you know, and, and to be able to think in that way, um, about them. Um, you, you know, I, I was going to ask you because we, we can all, see right now i mean the the world is is um the world is in uproar right now and i, and I think rightfully mm -hmm. so um mm -hmm. there are conversations that are taking place on some level that that i didn't think i'd ever see taking place <laughs> and, mm -hmm. I, and i think mm -hmm. that's good in some ways but i know there's a long way to go as well and i because i'm specifically thinking about the church right now too and how churches are often very slow like you just said to find themselves at mm -hmm. the table and then when they get there they want to take over the conversation i i mm -hmm. wonder have there been any instances in your life maybe as a touring artist or maybe even visiting a church where maybe even unknowingly the people that that have been there have been in some ways uh done or said things that have been racist to you that they didn't even maybe probably even think a second thought about yeah um <laughs> to be honest with you to give an example of one uh i would have to think kind of think about because to be honest with you, it happens often hmm. the picture i want to paint for listeners and for people who are wondering and just want to know like First, being black is at the at the at the foundational level of being black, 
that word is without identity. Hmm. Black is not a culture. It's not a people group. Um, I have friends from Africa. They don't necessarily call themselves African. They call themselves Kenyan. They call themselves South African. They call themselves, you know, where they're from. So the American term for black is without identity. Hmm. And so at the same time, there's so much culture inside of that term, inside of that word. There's so much, uh, so many skin tones and so many different kinds of stories. Some black folks are going to have a harder story. Some black folks are going to have an easier story, but there's a story. And, and how I'm trying to like develop this answer to your question so people can really understand what I'm saying is that, is that prejudiced things confront me on a daily where you can't dwell on it as a prejudiced thing. Hmm. You just dwell on it on, you just dwell it on it as, you don't dwell on it. It's just that that's what it is. That's what America is. That's what church is. That's how we, that's how we roll and we keep going. Hmm. And so, to answer the question, you know, have there been instances? I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, and so, and you have to kind of laugh. Like, I'm sorry to laugh about it because um, I don't want folks to think that I'm like belittling it. Um, but there, 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 there are. You know, even yeah. your close friends, they're going to say something. Um, and if you choose to, you know, to anyone black listening to this, when your close friends say something. If you choose to to challenge it, that makes that friend closer. Hmm. Um, I think uh, I'm talking to. I've been. I've been. Uh, I, I, I. My parent. My my family's very uh, giving to allow me to like just talk to people one on one personally. You know, sure. throughout the day sometimes. It kind of help, you know, some of some uh, white folks that kind of have questions um, yeah. understand something by listening to my story and by just asking me anything and me not getting mad and just answering them, mm. you know, directly. So, um, so kudos to my wife for letting me do that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but uh, you know, I was talking to a young lady, and she said that. Um, you know, at, you know, growing up, you know, she never really realized that she, for most of her years, that she never, like, in, ran into a black person. Hmm. Like, she never met someone black, you know, growing up. She she said she grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And she said when she moved to Tallahassee, Florida, um, when she experienced, like, when someone would say something that's like, prejudice or racist or something like that she said that she would feel like no that was in a history book that i read about like you're just in your feelings right now Mm. um and then you know she began to talk a little bit more and she said that um i said i said well you know what kind of school does your daughter go to she says she goes to you know xyz school 
And yeah, you know, I, you know, sad to say, you know, as we're talking about it, I realize that it's mostly, you know, a white school. There's not, it's not very diverse. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, my son goes to um, a black owned school that actually is mostly white. Um, there's some challenges there, but I said, this is kind of the difference of, of the life that we live. Hmm. When we took Levi to that school, we didn't just leave him at that school. We had to know that we had to buy books with black faces in it so we could make sure there were more of that inside of his school. Hmm. Because, because, uh, because there's not, you know, folks just don't think about that. And so even when we go to a church, you know, folks might not be thinking about it, but it's like, hey, there, we walk into this kid's class, uh, church classroom, and there's only pictures of white people on the wall. Yeah. And the thing is, is we're just not thinking about it. Um, and sorry to kind of get off that get no, off of what great. you're saying. I was trying to paint a picture. Um, but yeah, so I've had that happen as far as like someone saying something and not even knowing. Um, and guess what? I have not, I don't remember myself challenging anyone mm-hmm. about it. Um, because there's another sense of because you don't get it or you don't understand it, if I challenge it, I will be the one in the wrong. Hmm. And you don't want to do that um, because you want to continue to move forward and continue to be heard and continue to, you know, do all the nice things that they teach you to do in Sunday school when you're growing up in church. Um, I also have had blatant racism um, Hmm. in in church. that's just in your face and you know that it's racist. Um, and the person that is saying it uh, knows that it's racist. So, um, I do think that, you know, we have a job to do to challenge one another, to challenge, um, our brothers and sisters when, when we see something like that happening, see something like that going on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, it sounds so, heavy to feed people mm-hmm. because it sounds like it can't change because this goes all the way back to discipleship, you know, mm-hmm. kind of how you just said, mm-hmm. but I, I disagree. I think the heavy part of the church is guilt. Hmm. I think guilt is a heavy thing to pick up. Wow. And I completely think guilt is a thing of the enemy Hmm. the moment you feel guilt the moment a child feels guilt you know think about a time that you feel guilt if you're a listener too think about that like it it never your response never was or what's or what's going on your response is i personally did something i personally feel bad I personally am trying to hold this weight. And so as you like, with all that guilt, especially towards racism, what you normally hear from folks is, Mm -hmm. well, I didn't say anything racist. 
Well, I didn't own slaves. Well, I didn't do such and such. And that is the problem with change, I believe. I believe that the church needs to stop feeling guilty for all the times that it's failed and say, we failed, let's fix it and do something completely different. Hmm. I think that a lot of times guilt will sum up to a parade instead of protest. Hmm. Because after guilt, you want to feel after guilt, you want to feel good. You want to, you want to, you want to feel you, you need something to excite you to, to get those endorphins back wherever they were, because you want to get back to feeling good. Yeah. And so we might in the church, we might do things or say things or, have a party or do this or but no we need to be having these hard conversations and get past the emotions of the thing yeah and say how do we fix racial injustice um uh inside the body of christ um and that's just going to take you know shaking and moving and shaking and moving and I think that's exactly what the world is doing right now. It's shaking. Yeah. The world's upset. The world's mad. I'm upset. I'm mad. And yeah. I think that people are um, starting to starting to feel it. And again, I think the church is in a great place hmm. to just say, hey, you know what? We completely missed it. You know, following man is easy. Following God is challenging. And we've been following man for so long that we just need to we need to reset, just hit a reset button and dig into what's going on. And the problem a lot with that is like you said, like going all the way back to like discipleship, like if you don't know how to disciple, that means education wasn't given correctly. Yeah. Hmm. And that is the root of it. What you love, you will learn how to do. When you yeah. love somebody, you'll teach somebody. When you love something, you'll learn about it. It's about the education thing. Like, folks who love football know their football. Folks who love politics know their politics. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to love a community that has been oppressed if you don't know certain things. Like, for instance, to, to the listeners right now, um, there is a felony there's a felony threshold with what that means is there's a dollar amount that someone can steal that makes it a felony so you have communities um where people don't have food at all um where they're working really hard they haven't been able to um, to just get what they need. Not what they want, but what they need. They need, right. And you'll have a, a kid, normally a brown boy, a brown girl, who has taken it upon himself to go steal for him and his brothers and his sisters. And they'll go to whatever store they're at and they'll steal food. And when they're caught, if that food, the number just got changed to about $600. But let's just talk about um, this one real quick. 
Uh, I'm glad that it got lifted, but I think it needs to get lifted a bit more. Um, if when kids were stealing food and it added up to $300, that kid had a felony. Hmm. And now that kid goes to detention centers with the felony. And, and that sticks with him. Hmm. Um, I think that when most folks probably heard that, you were like, whoa, I never thought about it like that. I never thought wow. $300 worth of groceries can give, give me a felony. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know kids, I went to school with kids that would, would steal an iPhone, would steal a cell phone, and, and, and sell it. Um, just so they can get 50 bucks so they can literally give their mom 50 bucks. I think people think that this is, um, you know, on movies and stuff. Yeah. But when you think about that and you hear that, it's like, okay, so the retail price for a cell phone is $600. So that kid that just stole that cell phone, um, from that person on the sidewalk while they're walking, Mm -hmm. now that kid has a felony. And if yeah. that kid's 18, if that kid's 17, then you, then the world has opened up and swallowed that kid. Um, mm. And then we're not looking at the other problem of like, why did this person feel like he needed to resort to stealing? Right. Why did they feel like they didn't have opportunity? And we have to look at ourselves, especially as I think the church should be looking at it all the time is how can we create opportunity? Why is there a lack of opportunity for people? Um, and that was just one example. And I was just trying to just say that because, you know, I was talking to my mom, she's black. And I was talking to my mom about this. I was like, Hey mom, did you know that the threshold for such and such? And I gave her those numbers. Mm-hmm. And she literally was like, that's wrong. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, I'll just give another, like, right now, like, um, so, so say, you know, a man, um, has a baby, is paying, um, is paying child support, man or woman, paying child support, Mm -hmm. and then they go to jail Mm -hmm. for five years. When they get out of jail, they have not even a year to pay that full sum. Hmm. that added up of uh, child support. And then they reoffend and they go back to jail. Wow. I think if people actually knew certain things and we got the education, I think if believers actually got the education about knowing things, that's why some of my favorite, favorite verse in that song, Lean On Me, Mm -hmm. is, is, please follow your pride. If you have things you need to borrow for, no one can heal none of your needs that you won't let show. Like, if we don't know what's going on in the world, we can't heal it. Yeah. If we, so that's why I think we need to tell our stories, we need to share our stories, we need to be vulnerable, but we also need to be actually allowing someone to know that we can change something by we're going to get involved. We're not just going to post on social media and, and invite, you know, a, a black friend to church because yeah. it doesn't work that way. Like, you know, 
we have to get involved. We have yeah. to learn how Yeshua, how Jesus um, told us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Like, don't think of yourself higher than you are. Like, to leave one, to, to leave uh, all of the sheep, to go find one sheep means to me that while this good shepherd is walking around finding that one sheep, mm-hmm. he is yelling out, this one sheep matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I need to find this one sheep. Yeah. Well, you know, it's no. interesting you say that because I just saw a cartoon last week, I think it was, and they had someone had drawn that as an illustration, and they had the 99 sheep over in the pen, and they had one sheep um, hanging off of a cliff just about to fall, and Jesus is going mm-hmm. after that one sheep, and back in the pen, the sheep are saying, all sheep matter. <laughs> and um and, and it's interesting or another illustration that i saw was um jesus teaching on the sermon on the mount and he's saying blessed are the poor in spirit and someone yells out blessed are everybody you know <laughs> and, and or, blessed are all people or something like that and and they don't realize you know in a message like that uh like like yes all lives and all people do matter but you know, when when your house is the one that's on fire, it's the one that needs the most attention right now. You know, uh, not not the ones down the street that are not uh, in any trouble. And as you were talking, and as you were talking, by the way, I I wanted to also remind listeners I I wasn't planning on making book recommendations, but there's a couple that come to mind. Um, and some of it you were just talking about, like with that threshold, uh, the felony threshold, and uh, there are some great books out there, like the new Jim Crow is one that's it's very good to read about some of the problems with uh, the criminal justice system and and the way that um, it continually kind of presses down upon people and. Uh, and, and part of this, it does go back, you're right, to we're looking at the, the crime and we're not lo- necessarily looking at the reason for it, you know. And, and it almost reminds me of, of the book Les Miserables and the musicals where, where Jean Valjean, um, he, he steals that loaf of bread because his sister's child was dying and they needed food. Uh, and then he ends up going to jail for, you know, like 30 years or something like that. And then the rest of yeah. his life, he's marked as a felon and he just can't, until someone actually shows him, uh, the grace of Christ in that story. And he's able yeah. to make a complete change in his life because he's been helped out of it. Um, th- there would be no hope for him in that story. There was no redemption for him in that story. And yeah. um, as you were just talking now, I thought it, it feels like that story is such an illustration for what is happening to so many people in this country. And and most of us who are white, it never even crosses our mind because we've never thought of it before. Um so so I want to say thank you tonight. And, and by the way, are you able to go just a, just a few more minutes? I know I said 30 minutes. Well, yeah. We're already close to an hour. I don't want to take advantage of your family's time or anything else tonight. Um, I'm happy to talk. I'm happy. Well, I really appreciate you being able to address some of these things. And I, I want to uh, also tell our listeners, 
and and ask our listeners that that they would go to your website um, and listen to your music and, and do all the things that they can do to help support you as an artist in this time because as we already talked Thanks. about um, you know the touring is is not happening at least as of yet things are only just starting to open up so we want to do all we can uh, to support you on that level but I, I do want to uh, oh certainly um, but I do also want to ask you a couple other questions that uh, because you are such such an amazing artist. I want to ask you a couple musical artisty questions too, <laughs> as well. Okay. Uh, because you're you're a wealth of knowledge in so many places, and as an artist, I think we could place you in a number of different genres. Which is one thing that's so cool about you: your rap, your gospel, your rock, your soul. But but more than anything, as I think about it, what permeates from you when you perform um, is you are telling stories. You're telling it through both just the spoken word, but also through the songs that you're playing. And you get vulnerable with those stories that you tell. You tell personal stories and stories of people around you and family that you love. And, and I think of stories like Sunday Morning that you tell in the song Sunday Morning, which, which are you know amazing and they just kind of tear your heart out. I wonder, is it ever scary for you as an artist to become that vulnerable to tell these stories in front of people that you don't necessarily know? Um, it once was, but I think as you, you know, start doing something and you kind of find purpose in it, you find, um, like, solid ground in it. Mm-hmm. Um it just it just feels natural to do. Um, mm. It feels. Um, I've always been a purpose driven person, meaning that like, um, you know, in marriage, right? Like, mm-hmm. marriage is it's hard, it's difficult. Um, uh, divorce rates in America are one thing. Divorce rates in um, the black community is a whole nother, mm. and. I've always been someone to say, you know what, no matter how hard this is, I want to be a part of changing the statistic. Yeah. And so when it gets hard, when I feel like my vulnerability is is draining me um, or causing, you know, me to be a bit more emotional, you know, some days than others, you know, like I said, the past few weeks have been very emotional for me. Sure. And my kids have been, um, been, a, you know, a rock, um, mm. for me. Uh, I have, I just keep doing it because stories is where we find humanity. Yeah. You know, when, when, when I realized that a big chunk of my, uh, uh, fan base, uh, and supporters are, um, white evangelicals, I would be doing my community a disservice not to get vulnerable and tell them, hey guys, you know, one day someone did say something racist to me and this is what happened. And then to go in and tell them what happened. Because if I don't, they might not listen to someone else. Hmm. They might not hear it from someone else. And so I think if you have a platform and you have people that are listening to you, it's your duty to bless those by being vulnerable. Mm. Wow. 
That's amazing. Well, and, and I think, too, it's very much like Jesus that, you know, this whole idea of comforting the disturbed and disturbing the comfortable, <laughs> you know, it's very yeah. much uh, part of our calling, I think, even as Christians, not even, I was going to say to be prophetic, but I think it's just a, a part of the calling as a follower of God. Um well, you you do it very well, and you made me think of another question when you just mentioned uh, your kids, and I'm not exactly sure how old your kids are uh, uh, right now, but I know one of them you said was I think around three and um, yeah, three and I, I, eight. Three and eight. Okay, I'm I'm curious right now. I'm sure that there's some things that they're picking up on right now. Probably the eight year old a lot more than the three year old at this point, just just with the world and the things mm-hmm. around it. But I'm always concerned about children, especially, and they can. Um, children see scary things, you know. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, what have you been able to say to your your children in this time, if they have maybe been asking questions or or ways that you, as a parent, want to try to help them uh, to bring comfort to them, but also let them know about some of the hard realities of the world that that they are facing as well. Yeah, I'm on the phone a lot with, you know, black fathers, and we all are, you know, giving each other advice and Mm -hmm. building each other up because I know what I went through as a child, and I think my parents did a fantastic job, but one thing that I, you know, feel like, you know, as a black father, black mother, black parents, um, one thing you have to do on the daily when, because kids are sponges on the daily, is you have to put in front of them what they're not going to get in the world. What they're not going, and I don't mean the world as in the way Christians say it. I mean like in in next door, down the street, yeah. a block from them. You know, I mean in the mall, at movies, on TV. Um, I grew up thinking that black people weren't smart. I grew up thinking that. Um, my skin tone, uh, anything lighter than my skin tone was the valuable skin tone. Hmm. I grew up thinking that um, the only thing that I could do was was something in entertainment industry, um, sports or anything like that. I didn't, I grew up thinking those things, you know? And so um, Levi, you know, and Davi, we're constantly, you know, we, you know, when you look at our catalog of books at the house, like they, they have black people in them. Like I didn't grow up seeing that. Hmm. Um, when, when we, when we see pictures of, um, of a European Jesus, we say, Hey, I wonder who that is. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't like, um, when we, uh, when when we're talking to them at night, we're just always telling them like you're beautiful, like um, we're building them up. You are strong because there are going to be things in the world that that mess with that. You know, I'll give a quick example. Um, long story short, someone at one of Levi's close friends, they're still friends, um, uh, said your dad's black, and he laughed. Um, I'm just telling, uh, I feel like I gotta like tell the story a little bit more. Sure. Uh, 
just to quickly tell a story. So the project was to pick someone you want to be like. Him and his friend were sitting next to each other, and they both said, my dad, at the same time. And so they laughed about it. And mm-hmm. then afterwards, um, the kid said, and your dad's black. Mm-hmm. And then he laughed. And I'm not at all. Don't think, listeners, please don't think I'm saying that a kid was doing something prejudiced or racist. I think he was just being a kid. Hmm. They were laughing and having a good time. But instantly, Levi bawled. Hmm. He cried. And the teacher didn't know why. And so she called us to the school. And you could tell that the school wasn't sure how to handle it. They they weren't sure how I was going to handle it. Mm -hmm. So the room felt like with such tension of race. Yeah. And what's going to happen now? And what I had to explain to them is I like, um, everyone's had one. Some people will have a few. I remember when I had mine, but Levi just had a moment where he realized that he was black and it didn't feel accepted. It didn't feel praised. It didn't feel positive. And then she said, well, I don't see how that happened. And I said, said, look, these are the things that we talk about. I said, look around the room. Now, the pictures that we have on the wall, is he represented here? Hmm. Those things speak to kids. And it's not even that. I said, it's not even just about this classroom. Like, sometimes I avoid (laughs) the magazine aisle. Because I remember when I was a kid walking down the magazine aisle and just having a thought of, like, there's not many black people. (laughs) And it just, these things teach us, teach our children. So they soak up scary stuff all the time. Hmm. Um, but more directed to your question of scary videos, like mm-hmm. George Floyd's video. Yeah. Um, scary talk. Um, I think you do have to guard the innocence of your, your kids' hearts. And, they, and I wouldn't tell anyone to show them anything like that um i would say that we have to continue to build them up on the constant and when they ask questions to be there to engage and answer it like the, yeah. when they ask the question so when levi asked me like um you know during that time when when i said hey why why did you cry when that happened and he said i don't know i just thought about and this is his words um, I just thought about Martin Luther King in the old days. Hmm. And and that, that hit my heart, too, because, yeah. you know, that that says that, you know, they're soaking things up all the time. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think that we have to be aware of those things. We have to be able to stop and answer the questions when, when, uh, Levi heard because he hears. Cause I'm on the phone. I talk to lots of people. I'm like I'm talking to you now, or mm-hmm. um, I'm in the community. You know, he listens to my music and my TED talks, and and so you know when when uh, Ahmad, you know, was shot and killed in the neighborhood in Georgia. Yeah. You know he, when the next time we went on a family walk, he was like, "Hey, is this that neighborhood where that black guy was killed?" Oh my! And so you have to you ask the question. You have, and when he asks a question, you have to answer it. And so, you know, we answered with, you know, hey, like, some people are out here in the world and they are afraid of what's different. They are afraid to paint with all the colors in the crayon box. Hmm. 
And what Yeshua tells us, and I read this to them a lot, is Isaiah 58. It says, you know, our Redeemer tells us that he doesn't want us to, you know, just sit at home and, and, and pray and tear our clothes and do spiritual things and sing from a stage. He says the kind of fasting that he wants is to set the captives free, to love the foreigner, to set free the oppressor. Hmm. Um, and so, and so, you know, it's, you know, I'm learning, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young father. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm learning from other fathers, but you know, in a world where kids can soak everything up, you know, I think the best thing is to, on a daily, build them up. Yeah. Um, hmm. and so, I mean, I think that's the best answer I have for that because I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I I appreciate that. I I also have a a second podcast and I I run a Twitter feed that's all about Mister Rogers and <laughs> and it has a bunch of quotes that are about that are just Fred Rogers quotes. That's what I do on that Twitter page and. And uh, so I'm, I'm Fred Rogers has, has made me think a lot over the years about children and the effect on them. And and uh, he often would talk about thinking of the children first. And and if you ever have anything to do with their entertainment and their food, their toys and their their child care and their custody and their health care and their education to think about the children first and and to learn from them and and to listen to them and to try to think of them yeah. first in our lives. And, and so I appreciate the way that you were able to address that tonight and um and, and just the way that I, I think I'm hearing from you tonight that it would do all of us in the white church um a lot of good if we would learn to listen and and open our ears and hear stories as we develop relationships with people who are do don't necessarily look like us who may not even necessarily think like us um, who are around us in the neighborhoods and I want to thank you for the gracious way that you have have shared these things with us tonight um, I, I feel like I learn a lot uh, not only from listening to you talk tonight but through your music and hearing some of the stories that you've shared in song through your TED talks and um, just just your heart I feel like your heart for God and your heart for people um, shine out from you and, and all that you do and I really appreciate that I'm proud of the work that you are doing um, in your life and with your music and even with your family. So I, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time tonight. We've been talking for over an hour, and, and I feel like we could go a lot, a lot more places we haven't <laughs> gone yet. Um, but but more than anything, I just I guess I just want to reiterate how proud I am of you and, and what you're doing. And and thank you uh, for for the way that you are living your life, the way that you're teaching us and your example. Um, I, I want to ask you one more musical question, if you don't mind, before we go. Right in. What's right your fa- What's your favorite song to perform? And maybe it's yours, maybe it's somebody else's, but do you have a favorite song that you just love performing the most? To be honest with you, um, I think... <laughs> the situation kind of, you know, dictates what I think is a favorite because I love ballad. Okay. Like at the end of the, but but I I mostly love performing ballad and like in like a large stadiums with with a light with 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 uh, with lights and production. Um, it's not really a favorite to play like in a smaller setting. Mm-hmm. But if I had to pick a song that that I feel like 
does well all the time um, is is a song called Up For Love. Yeah. Um, Mostly because I think that people just feel good singing it. Um, And some people might not relate to it, but they feel good about it. And, you know, I remember playing that song once um, and I'm not sure, you know, how wealthy this person is, but he walked up and he said, hey, man, um, I'm a pretty wealthy person and I want to let you know that that song made me wish that I didn't choose to be away from my family so much working. Mm. And um, and so, like, I think that song just makes people want to say, like, every day I want to get up and love people. Yeah. And so, you know, I really dig that song. Um, yeah, I really yeah. dig that song. Well, that's great. It just kind of pulls people together. Yeah. Well, I know you have a song out now, and we're going to close the show with it today. And it's called yeah. it's called Good Morning. Is there anything you want to tell us about that song before we close our conversation together? Sure, why not? And, uh, and there's, there's something I kind of want to add. It's all kind of segue into it. So, Certainly. Uh, I want to encourage folks, especially um, folks um, in church, to remember that you can find humanity, you can find um, apathy without endorsing everything mm-hmm. that an organization believes, that someone might believe. Um, I think a lot of times the church hinders itself and we hinder ourselves because we feel like if we show love in a certain capacity, if we show up to a protest, if we show up to a city council meeting, if we show up and we didn't put it on and we didn't initiate it, hmm. then we then we endorse everything that that organization or that group or that whatever believes or stands for. Yeah, I would like to challenge you guys and to say, wake up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is about love, and it's always been about love. And the more people that and when you wake up, the more people um, you'll get to say good morning too. And that's why I wrote the song is that we need to just we need to start waking other people up. Hmm. We can't, you know, keep walking around here, you know, thinking we're awake or or thinking, you know, everything is fine and dandy. We need to start saying good morning to people. And so that's why I wrote the song. Um, it's called Good Morning. And I hope you guys really dig it. Um, it's uh, It just feels good when I sing it. It's, it's, it's yeah. real fun. It's a real fun, like, reggae hip-hop song. Yeah. Um, Rich, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It has been such a pleasure today. And to quote you on that song, it's right on your website. It says, the morning is not just in the a.m., it's when you wake up. Good morning. <laughs> I love that so much. So, Royce, yes. thank you again for sharing your heart with us today. And we are going to close the song, uh, this episode, by playing Good Morning. But as I say to my guests every week, thank you so much, Royce Lovett, for being one of the voices in my head this week. Oh, na, na, na. Good morning, 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 good morning
everybody running with their heads in the ground. Double X with the smile, walking dead for a while. Yeah, everybody running with their heads in the ground. Heat it on the block, then put down the rug. Get a gun and Cupid hit with my shoulder. Get a gun and Cupid hit with my shoulder. Wake up the poor, wake up the rich, wake up the working man digging the ditch. Wake up my enemy, let's build a bridge. Wake up the rebel with reasons to live. Good morning, seems you've been sleeping for a while. Good morning, it's time to wake up, morning child. in my head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com where you can find out more about me, get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.